Welcome to Working Dog Radio, broadcasting the bite. This episode of Working Dog Radio is brought to you in part by the best training conference on the planet, HITS K9 Training and Conference, www.hitsk9.net, or call Jeff Barrett, 863-529-5113. We'll see you there. One of our other great sponsors, be sure to check them out, Ray Allen Manufacturing up in Colorado Springs, rayallen.com. Be sure to use the discount code WORKINGDOGRADIO for 10% off. Spell it out, get the discount. Everyone knows Ted and I are huge fans of Dogtra. Uh, we use all their products, lots of stuff. Dogtra.com, use the discount code WDR10 for 10% off a single item over $200. All right, everybody loves drag and drop the easiest way possible. The easiest way to get a kennel up and running is to get them from Horizon Structures. Go to horizonstructures.com or call 1-888-447-4337. Make sure you tell them that Working Dog Radio sent you. There you go. One of our newest sponsors and one of our favorites, Kinetic Dog Food. Kineticdogfood.com or call 512-279-8966. Get your dog on the right track. One of our other fantastic sponsors that are run by the Heiser, some of the best people in the industry. We love those guys. Uh, looking for a reputable canine kennel with dog sales and training services? They're located in sunny New Smyrna, Florida. Southern Coast Canine provides services worldwide from purchasing your next single or dual-purpose working dog to handler courses and seminars. Southern Coast is a great resource, so check them out. And where you can check them out is Southern Coast Canine. That's letter K, number nine, dot com, or give them a call, 877-903-DOGS. That's dogs. All right, everybody, Working Dog Radio Broadcasting, The Bite. We are back. Another episode. Uh, another summertime episode here in the middle of the COVID po- apocalypse. Uh, doing what we, what we got to do. The last episode you guys just listened to, um, Ted and I were together. We are back in our separate places. So coming yep. to you from Tulsa, Oklahoma is Ted. Ted, how's it going? It's hot. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's hot as shit here. Like, and it keeps raining too, so it's humid. Uh, it's only, you know, like 91 degrees a day or something, but um, like... I have to it's just like breathe into a straw. It's fucking terrible. We went tracking this morning and I have all the I we had like six dogs who were out tracking and I get and it's only like seventy degrees and I was just sweating. I my I was covered in sweat. I was like, this is bullshit. I'm I, I hate being cold, but I'm this is ridiculous. I can't decide if I'd rather it be like Arizona or like this, but this is I mean, I'm from here and this is a lot more humid than I ever remember, so <laughs> what about Canton? Oh stop. <laughs> Canton. Wasn't that hot up there? No, can't you know our summers here are 80s, hit some 90s here and there. That's about it. Today, uh, today wasn't bad. It was um, I had I had two agencies in to, to test dogs. Uh, they took Nelson. You met Nelson. He uh, they took him for the one agency. They're, they might come back next week and take the other two. Um, but anyways, they came and tested. It wasn't bad because it was overcast and, and whatever. We were at the fun house and we were over at the old school and stuff. But then. By the time I got back to the kennel, the clouds are gone. It was freaking hot, but it's only like 88. So, you know, that's that's summers in Ohio. They're they're hot, but not 107 heat index or whatever crap you talk about. Oh yeah, that's um, here. Hasn't rained so- much. I'm after this. I'm gonna go get in the on the boat and go swim in the lake. So. Yeah, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm bad. I assume Good sweating. Times. 
Um, well, so, yeah. uh, what do we got going on? So tonight today. we have, um, what's that? I said today. What do we got going on today? Oh, today. Yeah, we have a uh, we have a guest on that we've been um, friends with and fans of and talking back and forth. There's been a lot of, uh, you know, discussion on uh, some some online forums and stuff with him. And he's been a podcast guest for a lot of people. He's been in the business for a long time. So with us tonight from the West Coast, and he can tell us how hot it is out there, is our friend from LAPD, Michael Goosby. Mike, how are you? I'm doing outstanding. Thanks for asking. It's uh, 90 degrees right now, and my air conditioner is always hot. <laughs> it's uh, L.A. gets hot, though, right? I mean, it's yeah, hot it out there. It gets hot. But it's a dry heat. We don't get that humidity that Sam's talking about. The dry heat. Yeah, when, I'll when I heat uh, when I worked out in San Diego for those four months, I was out there. It was in the middle of the winter time, and uh, I got to tell you, it was better than being here. It was not. There was no <laughs> doubt about it. Being in San Diego was definitely better than being in Canton, Ohio, in the winter time. So, well, yeah, you got a nice little breeze. You get a little ocean breeze on stuff too, so it's all good. Yep. Yep. So. Um, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, I know a lot of people have heard of you, knew who you were. Um, you've been around a long time at, at the at the PD doing the canine stuff. It seems like uh, in the last, I don't know, six, eight months, a little bit more active on the social media stuff than before. I don't know if restrictions were lifted or what happened or if your level of give a shit changed, but... Uh, your, your comments and your discussions are always very, um, very well received, very well taken. It's um, from the perspective that you work in. And um, some of the things you, we get to talk about, like federal court that we'll get into later, is from doing it, not from conjecture, not from rumors from the 90s that somebody told you about, like a lot of dog <laughs> training is. Uh, dude, real quick, I... I had an agency call me the other day or email me the other day asking for a quote for a dog. And I called the guy and talked to him on the phone. And he said, yeah, it's a green handler, so it can't be a Mao. And I said, yeah, go ahead and take me off your, your bid list. I mean, come on, man. There, there's still there's, – I, I have a, a Mao in my then. kennel right now. <laughs> right. I have a Mao in my kennel right now that's uh, – I have women handling. You can't tell me like girls. No, I shouldn't say women handlers. I'm saying 19 year old kennel girls are handling this dog with no problem. You're going to tell me a dude who's a first time handler can't can't get the fuck out of here with that 1988 bull crap. Um, that still obviously permeates because the guy I talked to is like in his 30s. So, you know, what I mean, it's still bull crap. But um, real quick, Mike, we like to kind of start from the beginning Talk about like where you're from, how you got into PD, and, and kind of a little bit of your progression there to let us up to today. All right. Good to go. Well, I, I came on in uh, 1989. I'm originally from Chicago, Illinois, and my parents moved out to L.A. in uh, 1980. I was 12 years old. My grandmother was uh, ill, and the doctor said she needed warm we warmer weather. So it was either Florida or California. They picked California. So here I am. I uh, came on in 89. Uh, I was working – Undercover in high school first. They took me out of patrol right away when I was in the academy. I was in the patrol for six months. They took me out, and they put me undercover in high school as a uh, narcotics uh, dealer, buyer. So I worked undercover at like 21 Jump Street, the TV show. <laughs> I did that for a while. Mm -hmm. 
You know, nice. so it's cool though because I got to do all the shit in high school that I wanted to do but couldn't do. So you know, ditching class, you know, drinking with other kids and shit. So it's fun. It's a good time. You know, but at the end of it, though, I felt kind of bad because I did fuck a damn snitch. I was like, damn, I'm going to be telling all my friends right now. You know, but it was different. I did that for a while. I worked gangs. I worked gangs for a long time. And uh, it was during my stint in gangs when I decided I wanted to work canine. And I always remember we were on a uh, perimeter for a, uh, some armor that started out with Beverly Hills PD and ended up in our division in L.A. And we were holding a perimeter position, and the canine team went to the yard right across from where we were holding our containment and world war three broke out they were like holy shit my partner and i looked at each other like holy shit so then they come out the uh, dust clears the canine sergeant comes over to us and goes, hey you guys come back here in this yard and uh hold this crime scene don't let anyone back here so we go back there and we see this dude is just like lit up we're like oh yeah we want to work canine damn that so it's funny guys uh, today i'm in canine obviously and my partner that time during that time steve jenkins He's in K9 as well, so uh, our our goals came to fruition, for sure. Uh-huh. And and so I've been doing it now for about uh, 23 years, you know, and it's, it's all about the dog for me, man. You know, it's all about the hunt. Go out and find bad guys. There's nothing, there's nothing better than doing that. That's what keeps me driven every day. Pretty good gig. So I got to tell you, dude, I love the 21 Jump Street uh, reference because when I was a kid, man, that show was awesome. The remake, not so much. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> so you get up there, you're you're a handler for a while. At what point did you were you like, I think I I think I want to do the training end of it. Right. So I was a handler and uh you know, so we used to do the way we used to do things back in the day, it was a little different than we do it today. Back in the day when we first started uh I started working K nine, man, it was always chase the dog. As you guys call it, chase the little brown hole. We're doing a whole lot of that shit. Chase the brown hole, chase the brown hole. And uh, a couple of a couple of hairy situations we got in, and I was like, man, it's got to be some better way, to, better way to do it than this. It's got to be a better way. And we just couldn't have a new sergeants in, and they were more tactically minded and stuff. And I kind of uh, took them as my mentors, and we started blending the canine training with the tactic stuff, and it started becoming a beautiful thing. And I was like, this is what I want to do. So I got, you know, I, I put in for a position for assistant trainer because I wanted, you know, I, I like making the dogs work. I like making the handlers better. And it was, you know, it was all about the work for me, you know. But, you know, without with piss-poor training, you'll get piss-poor performance. That's just the way it is. So I was all about the performance oh, yeah. thing, you know. And it was, it was a good time. So it just, that's, what, that's what keeps me going today. I want to see dogs do better. I want to see handlers do better. You know, see the canine community do better. When, when you started in canine, so I, I got into canine in 05. So way, you know, after you did. When I first got into canine, we the canine guys still had to wear the polyester uniforms. Were you guys uh, doing the regular LAPD uniforms when you got into canine, or were you guys already BDU'd up? No, so, I, yeah, when I got in in 1996, we were, we were BDU'd out. We were wearing black BDUs back then. The only difference was the BDUs we had back then had a, uh, a place for your badge on. We wore a badge all the time, and that's still our canine dress uniform up to date, black BDUs with the badge on it. But we, since then, have gone to the cry uniform, which is like coming to work with Amazon. A lot more comfortable, a lot more pliable. <laughs> you know, you throw it in the washing machine and it's good to go. Oh yeah, that's what I, that's what I wear at the kennel every day. Uh, I wear a cries just because I need the pockets for all of my fucking tugs and toys and right, all right. my gloves and everything else. And oh uh, yeah, that's the best. And and handlers see them and I'm they're like, yeah, they're so expensive. I'm like, yeah, and I pay for them, and they are fantastic. <laughs> yeah, they are they fantastic. Should, Caleb cries should be 
sponsoring this podcast because of that. So, um, <laughs> uh, Melnick, Melnick used to work there. Um, now he's on TV. Uh, so, um, moving forward, um, kind of like as the training physician, you know, that's something that was, um, we talk about a lot, um, is the integration of like, you know, we have dog training and then we have tactics training. So, right. you know, one of the things that Eric and I see a ton at, um, HRD is guys that I think when you add the dog, like shit starts getting weird or they would, cause I, I pull them aside and I'm like, look, if I ask you to do this with just two backup guys and no dog, you probably, I would hope you would do it correctly. Right. Like you do it almost perfectly. Right. Anytime right. you add the dog, weird shit starts happening. People make all kinds of bad decisions and yeah. you know, I, 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 there's two exercises that we have specific, well, there's three at HRD that we have that highlight that. And, you know, I, I kind of want guys to start thinking in that mindset. And I tell them from the get go, like, we're not here to teach you tactics. Like there's ever other 900 other fucking schools that you can go to to do that, uh, our seminars. And that's not our thing, but how long, you know, there's another unit on the West coast or on the East coast that, um, just started kind of doing that. Um, they're in Florida. Um, they had to change over in administration, everything else, but, it's interesting because it's 2020 and they've been able to document their change. How long till it became kind of a culture, I guess, at LAPD where you guys were integrating all of this and decision-making processes and everything else as part of the training process? Well, I would say that was always the case. You know, LAPD is a very um, organic department. You know, it's the LAPD way or no way for a long time. It's been that way for a long time. And we're very big on officer safety. That's West Coast policing altogether. West Coast policing is buried and mired in officer safety. You know, there's not a lot of uh, interdiction out this way. Not a lot of de- we have detection dogs and stuff like that. But the biggest thing out here is catching a bad guy. So we're always right. mired in the tactic side of it. But you know, back to your point you made about how people go stupid sometimes when you add a dog to it. You know, so my thing is I always I always tell guys is look, here's the deal: you're adding a dog to your already established tactics. You're not changing your tactics for the dog. You make concessions because it is a dog, and dogs do dog shit. But you're right. only going to make concessions, not change your tactics. If you have to change your tactics because you're using a dog, then you're probably doing it wrong. You're doing something wrong. You know, so we've been doing it for a long time where the tactical thing has been a big thing for us. But then adding the dog to it became a different thing altogether. But as a unit, though, we were using tactics. But I'm going to say that when I first came in, we were our tactics were a little sloppy, the dog thing. Because we were all about, you know, catching the bad guy, catching the bad guy, chasing behind the dog. But then right around 2000, 1999, 2000, we really started bearing down on the tactical side of things. And where that came to play, we had two sergeants come over, and both of those guys were former SWAT team uh, leaders. And they came to canine, that sergeants. And they saw some holes in our system as far as the tactical side of things. You know, but at first, they were going way off the deep end to the tactical thing and forgetting that, look, man, we have a dog. Okay, he still has to do, be able to do what dogs do. He's got to be able to hunt. It can't turn, this, this tactical thing can't turn the canine search into an obedience exercise. He can't go five feet, we call him back to us, while you guys go check this. Go five more feet, come back to us, go check that. No, he's got to be able to flow and hunt. And so we really had to kind of uh, develop our canine and SWAT tactics to integrate that stuff where we're able to satisfy both sides of the fence. And I think today we, we, we got it down to a really good science for us. And our SWAT guys are real behind. They're very behind uh, the way the dogs work, and they're into letting the dog hunt. It's a big, it's a big difference falling behind that dog now with them as it was years ago. Do you still handle a dog at this point, or are you just running the training? No, I just run the training. So on LAPD again, it's real, they're real big on uh, command and control. 
And so they don't want supervisors doing anything the worker bees do. So I'll get a dog that may be having problems in the field, take that dog in, do some training with them, or I'll take a brand-new dog that I know a handler's ready to retire his dog. I'll take a brand-new dog, start training that dog up, so we can just transition that, that handler to this new dog and get them out faster because even though we train dogs in our unit, we're not about dog training. We're about working dogs. It, you know, the, it, it doesn't do us any good to have a lot of dogs in training. We need them on the field working. So when I got handlers that are going to go on their second, third, or fourth dog, then I'll get a dog sooner and start working that dog in training so that way we just get them up and running a lot faster. LAPD is a large department, to say the least. You guys ever like, what, 10,000 swarms yeah. or something? Yeah, a lot. Right. Um, how many dogs do you guys have? How many patrol dogs do you guys have? So patrol dogs, we have 19. In our unit, we have 19 patrol dogs. We have uh, five gun detection dogs. Bomb Squad has their own dogs. They have 16. And Narcotics has their own dogs. They have 12. So, the, And you're just on the patrol side? Uh, on the patrol side. Everything in our department is single purpose. Yeah. So, and that's kind of a, that's kind of a break from what a lot of people listening to this are going to hear. Um, and you know, I mean, and that's the thing. So the next kind of question is like for your patrol guys, I mean, obviously you guys aren't working like normal calls. You aren't doing normal stuff. So what is it, what does a normal like night for your canine handlers look like? So our normal night for us is uh 15, everyone's on the same watch, 1500 start a watch, 1500. We respond to the Academy. Uh, some guys academy weight room, the CrossFit area we call the Mesa, and uh, they start training field and it's workout for the first uh, couple hours. So 1500 start a watch is workout. Everybody works out, and then uh, by 1700 we're on the canine training field. We start some uh, basic maintenance training. That's generally where we do our uh, bite work and protection work, and uh, I may have some little uh, fun things, muzzle exercises for the dog to do, and then. We'll break around uh, 18.30, 18.45, we'll break. Everyone will shower up. They'll go eat. We'll meet the office. We'll get our paperwork done for the night before, whatever the case may be. And then about 21.30, if there's no canine calls coming out, we're back to training. We'll find a place to go do canine search uh, scenario-based training. And then we do that until end of watch if nothing comes out. Just rotating dogs through over and over again. Now, right now, we got about three or four new dogs in the unit. So what will happen is we'll get to the training location. I'll pick a side for the new dog to go to, and then we'll pick another side for the certified dog to go to. And uh, the trainers will work with the new dog, and then we'll assign one trainer to work with the uh, certified dog and run them all night while the new dogs are being trained up. So we're very fortunate in that sense. If there are no canine searches, then we're training. Canine searches come out, then obviously everything stops, and we go to work, which is a, a, a big deal because people ask, always ask, you know, how long are our dogs training? And our handlers and dogs are in training anywhere for three to six months. And I tell them, well, it's one of it's two reasons. Number one, because we have the, the availability to take our time and bring that dog up a little slower, bring that handler up. And then the other side of the coin, though, is that we'll stop training to go to canine searches. So that means they're not training anymore that night. So that means, by proxy, their training is going to take longer than most anyway. You know, But a new guy comes to our unit, he's not getting a dog for the first two months anyway. This first two months, he's learning all of our tactics and how we operate in our small unit dynamics. And once he has under his belt, move into a new dog, well, now he can focus only on dog stuff only. Everything else is pretty much uh, ironclad at that point. You were working dogs. How many dogs did you handle before you had to give that part up? I handled two dogs before I had to give that part up. I handled my first dog for uh, seven years, and then my second dog I handled for four years, and then I made a sergeant to hand him off to another handler. Tell me about the first dog and the second dog. 
tell me their names, what you really liked and what you didn't like about the dog. Well, okay. The first dog uh, was my, 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 my first dog. I was, I, was, I was green, obviously, and he was green. So he was a Malinois. His name was Thunder. Uh, what I liked about him is that he was he had a nose out of this world. That dog could find he'd find people that we just knew weren't going to be there. He had a he had a hell of a nose on him. Uh, what I didn't like about him though is he's a sneaky bastard, you know. So we have like this thing called a bite ratio here, and so we try to keep our handlers under under underneath 25 percent or lower for the bite ratio. And Thunder always kept me around 35-40 percent bite ratio. So I was getting yelled at by a sergeant. You know, and they're like, hey, you got to watch him closer. You got to do this, do that. I'm like, all right, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. So I'd be working the damn dog, and we'd, we'd be searching along, and he'd go by a bush like there was nothing there, and he'd get about, you know, a couple feet past it, and then boom, he just dives in, and he's on top of the guy. And, you know, I just couldn't, you know, I was brand new. I couldn't, I, didn't, I was missing his, I was missing his uh, alert. I was missing this, that. He's taking advantage of me. So I didn't like that part of it. But once I got about two or three years into my belt, then I started learning the game a little bit better, and I was able to outthink him. Um, the other thing I didn't like about it was that uh, back then we had these old ass e collars. So the old tri the old tricorns e collars that came out with him was the ones that you had to change the plugs on it. So you huh. couldn't change the level of, uh, of simulation until you took the collar off the dog's neck and changed the plug. Well, no oh, lord. On man work, on bite work, the dog was on a black plug, which is like a, a high the highest level, you know. But then on obedience and those things. He was like on a green or a yellow, which are like the lower, the two lower levels. So it was problematic during canine searches because if he goes to sniff dog piss or become a piss licker, as we call him, I want to use stimulation to get him off and keep him working. Well, I had to be careful with that because he might be on his, his man work level. Or if he's on the obedience level, well, then once he gets a bite, you know, try and get him off of that. So that was real problematic back then. So he was very out of balance at first, and we started getting him bounced out toward the end of his career in the uh, the uh, technology started changing in the uh, electronic collar uh, business. My second dog was Luca. He was a beast. Uh, what I liked about him was that he was a brute. He had a great nose on him. But what I didn't like about him was that he came with baggage. So he came from uh, a department up in Washington State where he bit the handler and bit three officers. But we went to go test dogs, and the vendor was like, hey, I'm telling you this dog is for real. He's a good dog. I think that he was with a weaker handler. And they didn't have the worth all the, to train this dog the way he should be. I think you guys should try him out. So we took him, we tried him out, and the handler that had him had a couple issues with him, and that handler ended up getting booted from the unit. So at that time, I was a trainer then, and they were like, "Hey, we have this dog. He's out of warranty. We need you to work him. He needs to be your second dog." I was like, "I'm not working that damn dog. He's, he's already got people <laughs> out of the unit. He's a watch up there." So. I, it was either put up or shut up at that time for him. So they gave me the dog, and I tell you what, that dog and I came together, and we did some, we did some beautiful things. We were doing God's work on a nightly basis. That dog was phenomenal. And when I left, I gave him to another handler, and that handler had a great career with that dog as well. So I, I was very fortunate. I had uh, two very strong dogs, and uh, they worked their asses off, and I got a lot of bodies. I got a lot of bad guys in the bag. Second dog was, what did you do differently? Was it a relationship issue? Was it... Difference in the fairness of corrections? What was the difference you know with what? you I versus think, the Washington did, guy? Yeah, what I did differently with him was that I realized that he was a tough dog and he needed a tough handler. So the way I had to, I, the way I corrected Thunder wouldn't have worked with Luca. Luca needed a stronger hand on him. He needed a stronger hand, but I had to nitpick him. 
once I nitpicked him and got and, and nitpicked him on a little stuff, then the big things started coming together. Because he's the kind of dog that if he got away with an inch, well, tomorrow's going to be a freaking mile. That's just the way it was. But I was fair to him, though. It always made sure the punishment fit the crime. So I was very fair to him. But I gave him his, I gave him his chance to be a dog, too. I gave him his head. He was working. As long as he's working within the parameters that I need him to work, do your thing, brother. Go to work. I didn't ride him. I didn't ride on him. I wasn't worried to scared that, oh, he's going to bite the wrong person or he's going to bite another cop. I didn't treat him that way. I gave him the room to hang himself. And once I did that and I started being fair with him and I didn't ride him so much, he became a phenomenal dog. There was a mutual respect there for sure. So um, talk a little bit about how um, you guys, because you got 19 dogs in the unit. And just like any unit, uh, I, ex- I assume that being a canine handler is probably a pretty coveted position, just like it is everywhere. So what does that process look like to become a canine handler at LAPD? Well, first thing we look for is, uh, you know, we look for good street police officers. You got to be a good street cop. That's the first thing. Because if you're a good street cop, that means you're putting bad guys in jail. You're out there problem solving. You're beating the bushes. You're a self-motivator. That's the first thing we need. We need a self-motivator. And we need that alpha attitude kind of. You know, because in canine, you get called to a scene at 3 o'clock in the morning. I don't care if you got 20 years in the unit or if you have 15 minutes in the unit. If you're the first canine guy there, they're going to hand you that shit sandwich and expect you to turn it to diamond until the rest of the troops get there. So we need you to be able to get there and get things rolling to uh, put on a plate for us and start eating once we land. So we need to get street cops. Uh, once once we, ident- once we put out our application process, we get a lot of applicants. Guys apply. They want to work canine or anything else. But the funny thing is we don't get as many people as think we get because a lot of folks kind of have an understanding of what's expected and what we're looking for when they come to canine. But some people even just want to apply out- outright. Once they apply, we do a physical fitness qualification. That's our first level of washing you out. And, you know, most of our guys are former Metro guys. They're coming from Metro. And they're passing PFQs on a regular basis anyway, so that part is really not a, a big deal for them. But they got to do a physical fitness qualification, which consists of a mile and a half run, and then you got to do uh, a minimum of 30 push-ups, a minimum of 40 sit-ups, and you got to do a minimum of five pull-ups. And then once we do that, anyone that's left standing, see our selection skills, our skills day. They go through the skills day, and a skills day means that they're going to go through the FOSS simulator. We're going to put them through the force out simulator. We give them three scenarios where they got to think on their feet, shoot, don't shoot, explain your actions, why didn't you shoot, why did you shoot, and then uh, from there they go through what we call our OB course. The OB course is basically like you're on a canine search. We're going to have you walking with your tag vest on, your helmet on, and a shoulder weapon. And you got to step over things, crawl into things, jump over a six-foot fence with your shoulder weapon on you, pick up a 75-pound bag, swing the dog, put it over a six-foot fence, and then we have them jog down to the track. They jog around the track to get their heart level, heart rate up. And then we stop them, take their helmet off, put eye pro on them, ear pro on them, and walk them to the range while their heart rate is up. And then we give them three weapons they have to shoot. They have to shoot the pistol, rifle, and shotgun. And we'll have uh, a scenario target set up they have to address, and there'll be malfunctions built into it. They got to clear the malfunction and score the targets and see the certain score. But once they do that, then they move on to our perimeter our problem, where we put them in a police car. We tell them a description of a vehicle is going to drive by them, and we'll give them a license plate, and that car drives by them, and we tell them, okay, react based on what this car does. The car will, we tell them it's two armed robbery suspects. The car will stop. 
the two occupants that jump out, that take off running. We want to see if they clear the vehicle before running by it. We want to see if they overcommit themselves to chasing after them or if they stop and set a perimeter, so on and so forth. And then from there, they go to the uh, canine field, and we have them take bites from the dog. We're not looking for them to be, you know, canine decoy pros and like that. We just want to see if they're willing to get in a bite suit and take a bite from a dog. Nothing major. The guys that are left standing from that part of the, the, from the canine skills day, we then schedule them for a loan to the canine unit. Everyone that applies gets a two-week loan. During that two-week loan, we, we're going to put you on standby. We're going to call you at 2 o'clock in the morning, call you at 3 o'clock in the morning, and see if you respond. And also, we're looking to see how you gel with our current canine team and how well you work in a small unit dynamics. And are you a worker or are you a T-shirt wearer? You know, some guys want to work canine to get a T-shirt in the car. You know, we don't need that shit. We want to see if you're going to get out there and work. You get to the command post. Are you running up there to get information to find out what's going on? You know, are you a, are you a go-getter? So those are the things we're looking for. Are you tactically sound? Are you going to be a headache? You know, and then once that's all done, we have what we call oral interviews. We do that because personnel requires us to do it. But, you know, the oral interview, as far as I'm concerned, means very little because I've had you through all this other stuff, had you on loan. There ain't much you can tell me that I don't already know about you. So you can come in there and give me a whole lot of flowery shit about yourself, but I already know in the back of my mind, no, dude, you're a suit sounds. I already saw you in action. You know, or you might be a person that doesn't give good interviews. But I know for a fact, no, you're you're a worker. You get shit done. You may not be able to explain it the right way right now, but I know we can teach you how to do that. So once they do that, then we do a background. We do a background. Our our trainers go out, they do a background on everyone that's left. The background is talking to their, their peers and the units they came from, the patrol division they came from, their supervisors. Are there any quirks? Are there any issues? Is there anything we did that we may have missed? You know, we do that. And then once we do that, we put them in pools. We have an outstanding pool, excellent pool, and satisfactory pool. We only pull from the outstanding pool. And that pool is good for a year and a half. Or up to two, we can extend it to two years. To two years. Uh, we got some guys that came in the unit. I got a new crop of guys that came in. One guy tried out. He says he tried out seven times. He finally got in. So that's pretty much how we choose our handlers when we go out, we go out and do our, our, our canine selection process. Eric, what's Canton look like? <laughs> Not that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Canton, Ohio. I w- was on the canine unit for there for a long time. We have seven dogs. Right. Uh, Canton's a hundred and f- anywhere from 150 to 200 guy department. So it's not that huge. We know everyone, right? We know every guy. We know how they work. We know the rumors. Uh, if you're a coward, where word gets out that you're a coward, I may tell everyone you're a coward if you truly are. Um, so, you know, kind of word spreads. So, so we kind of know the guys in the reputation. So we do a PT test. And then there's a lot of union seniority involved in it. Um, there's, there's some rules. You got to have a house. You can't have a, an apartment. Because uh, years ago, they had a guy living in an apartment. His dog was sleeping in the cruiser. Um, you have to have your house. You have to have spousal support, um, which we used to go and interview the spouses, but now uh, they're, they're always going to tell us yes. I don't think we've ever had a spouse say, I don't want a dog. This guy's uh, pissing nope. me off. But, <laughs> and, and it's funny thing, though, man, and, and I don't know if it's the same thing in L.A. I, I bet it is. So when I, when I took over as the head trainer, we used to give, like, two and three months' notice to, to a test. So guys could get ready for it. And I was like, no, 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 no. So I go, first of all, we're giving three months notice and guys are still coming and failing the pull-ups every time. If they're going to fail, it's the pull-ups. And we right. only have to do three, 
three. That's it. I started giving two weeks notice. Two weeks. That's all. That's all you get. And they come out and definitely fail the pull ups every time. Well, so yeah. and our, I'm sure you see that. Thing, oh yeah, absolutely. Our biggest thing is the firearms. They don't pass the firearms. That's the biggest ah. thing. That's what guys. That's where guys fall apart. And I'm talking about some guys that I know are, are good shooters. It's the stress level, the stress, the stress of the the process being there, and the heart rate being up, and, w- and what you're going against. You know that that that's where people that's where they drop the ball with us a lot. That's exactly where they, they end up losing on the, on the fire on the range. You know, but as far as the physical fitness side of it, most of the guys that try out for us come from Metro, so they're going to be a few on a regular basis anyway. So they they should not be mm-hmm. feeling that part. They're already doing it. You know, it's not anything different from what we're doing right there. So that part should be pretty should be pretty good. But I say the two biggest places that uh, we lose them is going to be the range, and the, the other one is the ride along. Guys, step on the ride along. You know, we get the early look at you, and we see and we yeah. see it right there. That's where we lose a lot of folks. Do you find guys are trying to show off? Yep, guys are trying to show off. They try, you know, they try to get too much swag going on. Again, they're the t-shirt guys. They want to wear the t-shirt. You know, and we see a lot of that. You know, and all we tell them, I tell them early on, hey. All you got to do is just be yourself. Okay, I don't, I don't expect you to be a canine handler right now. Are you going to be the search team member? So ask some good questions, get involved, you know, and you're going to be taking bites. We're going to show you how to do the bite. We'll put them to the decoy school, and you're going to be taking bites and so on and so forth. But you see the ones, when the bite two comes out, they start disappearing into the shadow. They'll walk up into the training field, their gun belt on and coffee in their hand. Well, motherfucker, if you got gun, a gun belt on and coffee in your hand, I guess you don't plan on taking bites right now. You know, so all those yeah. little things come out. Because you can't, you know, we are who we are, man. You know, I'm 52 years old. You can tell me, Eric can say, hey, Mike, I need you to do this. I can go, okay, Eric, I'm going to do it. I may change for you for two weeks, but after about two weeks, I'm going to go back to being Mike Goosey. That's just the way it is. Yeah. So I can't, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to be me. And those things that come out. All the flaws, all the good, all the bad. That's just going to ride to the surface. That's what happens during our ride-along program, as we call it. That's what happens there. So that's a good that's, – that, if I had my uh, choice about King for a day, I would only do the loan. I'd make it a little bit longer. I'd only do the loan. The loan's going to show me everything I need to know about you and how you're going to work in this unit, without a doubt. The, the guys that are act busy walk around real fast. Carry a clipboard maybe. That, that'll that work. Yeah. Just act <laughs> right. busy, and they don't do shit. Yeah. No, you know, it's like the Before guy we... that calls, he's talking radio. You know, you get to a command post, yeah. you see the one guy with the damn radio in his ear, like the damn phone. Yeah, hey, hey, buddy, mm-hmm. what do you have? Oh, hold on one second. Hold on one second. I'm on the radio. You know, yeah, they want to blend into the woodwork. No, nah, man. Get out there. Show me what you got. Yeah. <laughs> Before we get into the, uh, into the dog selection part, so I looked around. There's no one listening but you, me, and Ted. Tell me the truth. On the PT test, is the minimum enough? Nope. Not if everybody everybody else is doing maximum. Hey, man, again, you're competing (laughs) right now. All right, you're competing. This this, this is the minimum. This is what you need to do to pass to move to the next level. But make no mistake, we're taking notes right now and seeing how much you're putting out. Because, again, you might have that guy who just wants to do the minimum. I just need to get by. Well, this ain't the kind of job where you just need to get by, man. This is the kind of job where we're going to need you to perform every day and strive to be better every day. Because you're going to have a dog riding behind you. That dog's got to be better every day. You've got to strive to make that dog better every day. So you can't be satisfied with the minimum. Because the minimum in our world gets people killed. The minimum in our world makes stupid shit happen. So you know, you always got to strive to be better. Now, if you're doing your best and you're sweating blood coming out your nose 
and you're working your ass off, and that's all you can give me? And I got another guy that's kind of just, you know, doing can do more because he can, but he's a, but he's, but he's a wet paper bag? Yeah, you might get a shot now because you want to put that work in. That's all I want you to do is put the work in, man. Give me a clean slate. Shit, I'll paint the, I'll paint the picture on you that I need. <laughs> yeah, I love it. That's great. The ability to suffer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yep. So we're getting. Let's get into the dog stuff real quick. Um, you guys have, and you've talked about it on some of the social media stuff. You guys have a pretty solid relationship with the Reavers up there at Adler Horse. Um, uh, talk to me about what Mike Gooseby is looking for when you go select dogs. I'm sure they have figured out about this time what you kind of want, but. But what does that look like when you're going up there? If you just randomly went up there and said, I want to look at that dog, that dog, that dog, and that dog. Don't tell me anything about them. Right. Uh, well, the first thing I want to do is I, I, I want to see what Mother Nature gave them. I want to see the confidence level. So I do, I'm going to do a stake line test. And a lot of vendors don't like it. Dave Reaper hates it. He thinks it's the most stupid thing in the world. But I still do it. Because you know what, Dave? I'm not buying a dog for you. I'm buying a dog for me, damn it. So I'm going to do what I want to do. You know, so. <laughs> That's the first thing I do. I do a stake line test. That's what see what Mother Nature gave you. I mean, are you going to stake the funk with me? Are you going to be for real? Or are you, are you talking about it or are you going to be about it? I want to see those things out. So once I do that, and, and, and that weeds out a lot of dogs for us. You know, like I said, I'm testing the dogs for me. And that works for us. And once I see that, then my next important thing is to hunt. Will this dog hunt? Because 95% of this dog's job is going to be hunting. I do the hunt test. I bring a decoy out. I, I, I hide him behind a tree or something. I bring the dog out. I or I bring the dog out. I order the decoy out. The dog, the decoy steps out. He fires the dog up. I hide the dog. The decoy takes off and hides someplace else. And and in all honesty, I'm not looking for the dog to find him. Although that is a big plus, I'm looking for you not to stop looking for him, not to stop searching for him. I want to see if you're gonna get bored from not not getting what you want right away and stop and start pissing, start sniffing trees and stuff. Or if you're just not going to leave my side and go hunt. Or if you're going to go to where he was and he's not there, you just give up. So I want to see the dog hunt. That's a real big thing for me. Let me see the dog hunt. Once I see the dog hunt, I'm going to do a couple environmental things. I'm going to take the bite suit jacket off, lay it down, and uh, see, if he'll take a, see if he'll step over the bite suit jacket to come at me. Or is he going to just fix it on the bite suit jacket? Is he going to be a prey animal? Is he going to be high prey where he just wants the equipment, equipment, equipment? You know, that doesn't automatically fail him. But if I got a dog that doesn't do that and comes after me instead of the bite suit jacket, then that dog will get a bigger plus. Then I do environmental stuff. I take him on stairs. I take him on slippy floors. I take him in a dark room and just see if he's willing to operate there a little bit. If he is, that's pretty much enough for me to take this dog and say, okay, I'm, I got stuff to work with. As long as he hunts his ass off. The bite stuff, I'm not real big on the, the bite during testing because I know that's something that I can develop in the training in the training arena. I can do bite development. I can get a strong grip. I can get a grip placement. I can do all that stuff in the training arena. But I cannot teach you how to hunt more if you don't want to hunt. That's the biggest thing for me. I got a real quick test, man. It don't take long. I'm not out there all day long. I see what I see. I like what I like, and then I'm off and running. And all that means is that this dog has a basic foundation for me to start with in being a, a, a candidate for an LAPD canine. So 
when uh, you were evaluating green dogs, like kind of give me a little bit of what you think that means. I mean, I've seen, I've had departments that are within five hours of here that are in large cities ask me for green dogs and they'll come and look at a dog or they'll see one and they're like, well, yeah, but he needs all this work done. And I'm like, well, well, yeah. well, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, <laughs> right. they look at me and I kind of like balk for a second. I'm like, well, what do you expect? I mean, well, right. I've seen tests where they'll test an 11 month old puppy and, you know, it's, it's relative to the dog and, you know, those guys know exactly what they're looking for and everything else. And then I've seen guys that want to test an 11 month old puppy, like a 36 month old fucking street sweeper that has a pH one title that, you know, has bitten four handlers and all this other shit. And I'm like, Whoa, slow down. You're not going to break the dog. Like, so I've seen all like, you know, and I can't tell you how many times I've had to tell people testing dogs. And we got to the point where I just don't let people test dogs. Um, I'm like, and I tell them like, you can't expect individual, you can't expect immature or, you know, adolescent dogs to do adult dog shit. You just can't. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right. And, that's a, and that's a good question because I do prefer green dogs. So now if I'm testing, if I'm testing a green dog and this dog, I, generally I'm looking for a 12 months or older. But usually at Adler Horse, I'm getting about 16, 18 months old. So if I was testing a young dog like that, when I do my steak test, I'm not putting the pressure on that dog that I would put on a dog that's titled three years old and has been in the game for a while. I'm putting a different, it's a whole different ball game because I know that you can't train maturity. Nope. You know, you can't make this, you can't make this 16 month old dog to be that three year old dog in one steak test. And you can break that dog's spirit a lot faster than you can like, put too much pressure on him than you are the older dog. So I don't. I, I'm looking just to see what Mother Nature gave him. You know, the hunt test. I'm doing the same thing. I'm gonna bring him out and just see if he's going to hunt. Was you going? Was you going to run out there with his nose and try and find that elusive decoy that he just saw a minute ago? And I don't do a lot of heavy duty bite stuff with him. I'm gonna take him upstairs, take him in a little dark rooms and stuff. Because again, I'm gonna have this dog in training for three to six months. I can do a whole lot of stuff with this dog. I just need to know that he has the bare minimum of what I need to go forward with this dog. If he's not going to hunt, then there's no need me waste my time to take him. I've can't had bite dogs him if you can't hunted. find him. <laughs> exactly. You can't bite if you can't find him. I've had dogs that I've taken that hunted their asses off, but they didn't do as well in the dark room. They didn't do as well before. That's environmental stuff. I can get you over that hump. As long as you're willing to hunt, I can generally get you over that hump. Some dogs will be able to hunt right away, hump right away. Some dogs take a little bit longer. Some dogs they don't get over at all. But, hey, you know what? You had the shot. Okay, you go back to that horse now. But, awesome. I just, but the main thing for me is can they hunt, man? If they can hunt, then I can pretty much deal with everything else. We had a female Malinois that was just, I mean, as long as you could see, and she, we were evaluating her for um, single purpose, and as long as you could see something, actually, I'm sorry to go back, as long as she could access a ball or a tug, she was absolutely, like, just insane. Like, almost difficult right. to handle, Right. And I mean, the minute that that access went away and I'm talking about like still visible, but under a milk crate, her drive went completely flat. She just turned off and like start fucking sniffing around it. And I was like, what in the hell? Like I had never seen that before. This is several years ago. And I worked for a couple of months trying to get her and it just didn't it, like it never, I, I got a little bit, but it was all patterns. Right. So she kind of knew, but I knew that there was no way I was going to get her to fucking hunt, you know, a thousand fucking cars that she'd never seen before. And I mean, it was, it was the weirdest thing. And you know, if you do like the thing, the euros always do where they throw the ball into the fucking high grass, you know, as soon as she saw the ball leave, she wouldn't chase it. She'd be like, nah, never mind." <laughs> 
But if she could see it bounce, she was good. Right. <laughs> so I was like, this is fucking terrible. Uh, and so it's kind of like one of those, uh, it, like, it's exactly what you're talking about. Like, if you know, if, if it all of a sudden goes away, do they have some object permanence, right? Because that's how we teach area searches tracking and it's how we teach building searches. So, like, they kind of have to know, like, all right, the human's making the noise. He's making the noise I remember. I got to go in and find somebody. And right, there was right. no way that, there was no way this dog was going to fucking do that. And she ended up being a pet. She plays fetch really well in the backyard <laughs> with, with short grass, right. which is cool. I mean, that's what she's good at, and that's what she needs to be doing. But she definitely was not. She did not have any hunt. There was no – if she had to hunt food, she would die. So um, other than that, she was a nice dog, well-bred, healthy. Right. So, I mean, I think she's like 14 now. But, yeah, so uh, we are – Going to take a break real quick. We're going to come back. Uh, when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the boogeyman stuff. So, uh, everybody, don't fast forward through the commercials. Uh, we'll be back in just a second. And Ray Allen Canine Manufacturing. It's no secret that we love Ray Allen Canine Equipment. We use their products every single day. Their mission statement says it all. To be a world leader in quality and innovation of professional canine equipment for police, military, Schutzen, and ring sport to exceed our customers' expectations and delivery on time, every time, at a fair price. We full-heartedly believe they've held true to that since it is our go-to one-stop shop for everything dog. One of the longtime sponsors of Working Dog Radio from the beginning has been Highland Canine in North Carolina. Tactical Police Canine a.k.a. Highland Canine in North Carolina, offers training, seminars, and consulting globally for police, military, and non-government agencies. They provide customized training programs to address specific problems and meet the needs of your organization. Check out their wide array of handler courses, instructor courses, supervisor courses, and online courses at tacticalpolicecaninetraining.com. Uh, Jason and Aaron Ferguson are two of our most favorite people, and they have been with us since the beginning, so hit them up. We get it. Fueling a working dog can be tough, but they need that high quality food to give them the energy and nutrients that they require for the work we ask them to do. Kinetic dog food has a great balance of healthy meats and grains and is made specifically for working and sporting dogs. They have a full line of foods and supplements available, and they've been working to perfect their line with thousands of dogs in hundreds of departments across the U.S. and you can buy it locally, online, or at Tractor Supply. Okay. Another one of our favorite partnerships is with the one and only Dogtra. These guys are producing some amazing tools in the dog training world. Everything from e-collars, GPS tracking, ball training, bark collars. If it's electronic, Dogtra is the best. They are truly revolutionizing the way you communicate with your dog. Plus, they give us a great discount code. Go to Dogtra.com. Everybody hears me say all the time, you can't teach dogs to bite people and act shocked when they do. Inevitably, I get bit. You've all heard me talk about how I get tagged and being tagged by a dog sucks. So I've used quick term <laughs> to help myself. Uh, but before I had to go to the doctor's office, uh, it, it definitely helped keep down infection and everything else. And I've had some uh, non-scarring because of it, too. So it's pretty good. But it's no exaggeration. The stuff is great. Once daily treatment for any skin condition on small wounds to help stop little issues from becoming big ones that your admins are sure to love. It comes in a spray. 
comes in an ointment, it comes in a dressing. Quickderm is great at creating protective barrier and promoting wound healing. There's no reason not to have a bottle of this in the patrol car, or your kennel, or your first aid cabinet. Plus, it's, it's uh, temperature stable. So you can keep it in the patrol car when it's cold, when it's hot, whenever, and it'll still be good. Make sure you hit them up at vetcare.us and use the discount code 10WDR for a discount on your first purchase, which is going to be 10%. Have you ever dreamed of having your own kennel but don't know where to start? Horizon Structures has taken all of the guesswork out of building a kennel. Everything is pre-built to your specifications and preferences and then assembled and dropped off at your land. Boom! New kennels. And these things are amazing. You've got to see them to truly believe them. Their website, horizonstructures.com, is a one-stop shop. Build your best kennel, your favorite things you want, Check it out, horizonstructures.com. All right, guys, we are back. Working Dog Radio broadcasting the bite. Hope you uh, listen to the commercials. If not, um, look at the show notes. The discount codes are in the bottom. I tell you this on every episode. Ted and I do. We have amazing sponsors. Even though the podcast is free, it is not free. Not free for us. Trust me. Um, so we have amazing sponsors the stuff that they've done we believe in everybody that the sponsors with us we got some new ones coming up that you'll get to hear about so anyways enough of that go check them out we are talking to lapd's uh trainer mike gooseby um we're gonna switch away a little bit from like the dog's selection stuff and things like that and talk about something that that he that hasn't really been talked to about that much. Uh, the, the cops that are listening to this, this is super important for you. So I'll give you a little background on me and this story. Um, in 01 to 05, I was in the, in the NARC unit working dope. I came out in 05 and I had gotten selected for canine, but there was going to be a few months before, um, before I was going to get the, a dog, before the class was going to start. So I was working on the road uh, in a, in a zone, I had a regular partner. We had just gotten tasers. Those were pretty new 2005, just got tasers. And, um, we get a call of a guy running naked in the street, uh, jumping in front of cars, right? So we drive across the city. It wasn't our zone, but they sent us there anyways, across the city. I'm driving, we pull up and I see ambulances, cars everywhere. There's people all over the place. And I drive right by the six foot one, 250 pound naked guy with long dreads, completely covered in blood and sweat. I drove right by him because I'm focused down range. I'm like, he's gotta be down there by the ambulance. So my partner at the time, Bill, he's like, hey, you passed him. So I stop, open the door, get out. And, I, and all I got out of my mouth was, hey man, what's up? And he's on me. Uh, I, I had enough time to grab pepper spray, give him a full blast in the face. Of course, he just wiped it off. I laid back across the seats of the car. He dove in on top of me, and then we were in a massive fight. I'm 5'8", at the time, probably 170. And um, I'm laying on my back across the seats of the car, and we're into a hell of a fight inside the front seat of the car. So Bill runs around, and granted, there's been like two people tased at this point, so it's all pretty new. Bill shoots him in the back with the taser. It works. He locks up right on the taser. He locks up and uh, it's working for five seconds. He lets, as soon as that five seconds ride is over, he, I see him look down at the same time and he sees my gun. So him and I start getting into a huge fight over my gun in the car. 
He's yelling, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're covered, <laughs> covered in sw- sweat and blood. So this is like some scary shit, right? I'm yelling on the radio, uh, send us some help. But uh, my radio is turned off. Um, so he gets, he starts pulling my gun out of the holster. I'm fighting him over it. He, I managed to, so he's pulling, I'm pushing backwards. He's got the leverage. He pulls my gun out of my holster. I slip his hand off of it. Cause it's, like I said, he's covered in blood. I mean, I ended up having blood in my underwear. He was so bloody through my uniform, in my underwear, in my socks, in my eyes, mouth, everything. Um, I slip his hand off. I come up with my pistol and I'm going to shoot him in the head and he vanishes. So what happened was my partner, Bill and a fireman had grabbed his legs and pulled him off of me right now in this time though, he had gotten tased two more times and had just fought through it. The first one worked. The next two did not. Anyways, we get him on the ground. Um, we get it. I, I get him cuffed, but he ends up knocking me completely off of him and standing up. So I have to fight him, take him back down to the ground. We're holding him on the ground, right, for a while while they get the everybody. I got him on his side and everything like that. Well, he ends up dying. Um, we had never heard of excited delirium, right? A lot of people, I'm sure, Michael, you had heard about it years ago. A lot of West Coast people, Washington, Oregon, and California had been dealing with uh, excited delirium. And for some reason, a lot of people in Canada had heard about it. But we in, in Canton, Ohio, had never heard of excited delirium. So they, they had walked murder charges on me to the prosecutor's office. It was a whole stressful, long time for me. Um, a couple of years later, his family sues uh, for $20 million. Sues the department, me, just a whole bunch of people, other cops that were at the scene, all that stuff. So my whole career, the before and during all that and afterwards, uh, everybody, and we've talked about, Ted and I've talked about this a lot, where this liability liability didn't want to get sued i knew a cop who who ended up becoming our chief and he didn't shoot a guy one time who was coming at him with a knife and ended up got pretty close he didn't shoot him because he said i didn't want to get sued so guys like that there's this there's this crippling crippling fear of federal court that guys have crippling like to the point where you are absolutely jeopardizing yourself and everybody else's safety because in that moment you're thinking about i don't want to get sued and so what i found and listen this federal judge did not indemnify me and the other cops our houses futures our lives everything were at stake in this lawsuit we believe we were right the coroner's office said we were right the grand jury said we were right everything everybody said we were right but you never know so we go to the federal court and I was always, in my opinion, a strong court officer. I was strong in court. I did well. I was well prepared at all times. I had a good relationship with the judge. Um, they, they respected me, what I did, you know, when I went in those places. When I came out of federal court, we ended up winning. Um, they exonerated all of us. They said that the city had to pay $1.8 million for failing to train how to deal with uh, uh, excited delirium. So... Um, so anyways, we won all that, but I testify, I had to testify twice during the hearing because uh, those of you who don't know, federal court's way different than your regular, you know, uh, federal uh, felony court or misdemeanor court or whatever. It's way different. So when I came out of there, I was like, well, I hate the judge. He can suck a dick, but in um, the, the federal system's super weird, but it's, it, it kind of pulled back the curtain on me. 
And I was like, listen, I can deal with this. I can handle this. So there's this big thing in canine all around the country. And Ted has talked about it with his local sheriff's office. And we hear this all the time with these bosses. We don't want canine liability, liability, liability. And I always say that the liability narrative is fake news. It's fake. It doesn't happen. There are just not these massive amounts of canine lawsuits all over the United States. There just isn't. There's hardly any, right? However, out where in LA, the probably the most litigious city in the United States, there's a lot of lawsuits about every fucking thing possible. Um, I would venture to say that Michael has testified in federal court on the canine side more than anyone ever. Um, so we want to get into that, talk about that a little bit. Some of the things that you've had to deal with, some of the outcomes, um, kind of pull the veil back on some of the fear on the federal court, considering the circuit court that you deal with is, is considered one of the most liberal in the history of the world. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> the, the ninth circuit, it definitely is. Yeah. I'm surprised you guys arrest anybody out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> you know, the, I, I got to go back to you said about the canine liability thing, because whenever you talk to most canine units, their admins, handlers, that comes out of their mouth. Liability, liability, liability. You know, and I always say those people are people who read the canine storybook. And mm -hmm. the canine storybook mm -hmm. is fraught with a canine boogeyman in it. And the canine boogeyman is all throughout the canine storybook. Because then I ask those same agencies, well, how many times have you been to court? Well, we haven't gone yet. Well, okay, you've been in existence how long? I go, yeah, you know how you come you haven't gone yet? Because it doesn't happen that often. I've been doing this thing for 23 years, and I don't go that often. I probably went more for a gang officer than I did for a freaking canine. I've had to testify more in federal court as a gang unit officer than I did the canine animal or a canine trainer. Mm. And then once you get there, yeah, you're right. Federal court is different. So some of the things that do scare you off the bat when you first go, especially if you go in uniform, is they take your gun. You can't wear your gun in federal court. So that's the first thing that blew my mind. I was like, oh, shit. Am I? Oh, I'm, I, I, I am the defendant here. I am the suspect here. <laughs> you know that blew your, that blows your mind. But once you get in there, no, it's not. It's not like testifying in a regular court, or a, a state court, or a municipal court, because there, that judge or judges are God, and they waste no time letting you know that we are God, and they run that courtroom like it's their it's their it's their own private heaven. You know, and it's a different ball game. You don't have those same protections that you would have or the same – you don't have the same faith in you and your profession as you'd have in more of a state court or district court than you do in the federal court. The federal court, they don't care to the police. That's one thing for sure. As a matter no, of fact, they do some not. In, <laughs> some courts I've been in, being the police is a bad thing. <laughs> it's like, damn, I wish yep. I was another profession right now because they didn't like the police. You know, I was in one court. My last court case was uh, one of our handlers. And I don't know. It, it, so we have a history with a, a couple lawyers in L.A., and that's Cook and Man. And they're the ones that were uh, – they got a lot of case law on us with uh, Chu versus Gates and Lawson versus Gates back in the day. So they ran – a lot of our LAPD canine lawsuits, that was a law firm that went against us. And I would say that they uh, they won a lot against uh, Dave Reaver and Atla Horn and some of the departments they represent, so on and so forth. So this guy, uh, Don Cook, is, is still on the hunt of trying to get rid of LAPD K-9. So last year we had a case with him, and this was a Monell claim. And I don't know why he chose this case that he did, because the dog bite 
I mean, everything was by the numbers. The dog found the suspect in the shed, the armed suspect. He found the suspect in the shed. Before the dog was even deployed in the shed, there were numerous announcements given outside the shed, so on and so forth. Dog went in, found the guy. The guy tried to fight. Dog bit him. Handler called the dog off. Took the suspect to the custody. No issues. So this, this uh, John Cook filed a Monell claim, though. And his claim was, and that goes against policy procedure. It started back, in, I think, someplace, some case in New York City, uh, either the public service department, something like that, or the uh, Monell, Lady Monell, she was pregnant, and the department's policies and procedures uh, violated her civil rights. And that's what they're saying. Our policies and procedures for LAPD canine violate suspect civil rights. So he went for a Monell claim. And had we lost that Monell claim, what would have essentially happened would have been that we lose our canine's policies and procedures and have to implement new policies and procedures, and he will be the one offering that. And uh, and he and he goes for that because he's successful before. You know, if you go back to Chew versus Gates, you know, that was a big deal for us. It, it brought a lot of change for us. And we ended up settling that case and not losing it. We ended up settling it. I mean, but so what happened with that case was for 10 years, from 1990 to 2000, every canine deployment report, every canine bite report that we conducted or that we, that we wrote had to be shipped over to his office for him to look through them. So they got, they got every canine report that came out of our office. They went to that lawyer's office to go through it to see if he had any possible litigants in there. Um, we had to have a, a training that. cadre put in place. We had, a, we had to have a training cadre put in place. We had to have a chief trainer put in place. We had to go to the fine and bark, and uh, we had to mandate that our officers use the e-collar. Those were, those were part of the settlement, and to this day we still do all those things. You know, there are some of those things in place that, hey, if they chose tomorrow, we don't have to do them. We still do them, so no big deal. But back to the current federal uh, federal court. So this last one I had with him, we go in, and uh, the judge on that case, she was uh, very much against it. She does, she does, she's not very fond of law enforcement, and she was totally against police dogs. So the city attorney, before I get ready to go into court, he says, hey, look, we're going to this. This, this judge, she was a, a Jimmy Carter appointee, and she grew up in the, in the South, and she was grouped at the time of the Civil Rights uh, Movement where they were using water hoses and police dogs on people, and that's what she sees police dogs at. So she's not allowing a lot of stuff in, and she's not letting me bring a lot of stuff to light. And so hopefully when you get on there to start testifying, then we can bring it out. So he played a little trick with it. Instead of me putting me on as a canine, uh, the department's, canine expert he put me on as a person with most knowledge and there's a difference in those two oh. when, you go in as, when you go in as canine expert you can only give expertise to the incident at hand if you go in as person with most knowledge you can talk about everything you have knowledge about of the lapd canine so you got to be careful when you go in when your attorney puts you on a stand find out what they're putting you on at so if you're going on as expert then you're only the expert for this incident that happened right here you can't talk about anything else so he put me on as a PMK, personal social knowledge. So I was able to go into where our unit started, where we become, where our training is, what I do on a nightly basis, on a regular basis, and the certification, so on and so forth. So I was able to paint a picture for this judge that, hey, this ain't no freaking fly by the seat of your pants unit operation here. We're putting in work here. We're putting we're putting fail safes in place, and we're testing our dogs on a regular basis. We're doing scenario-based training, so on and so forth. So I actually want her over. Definitely won the jury over because, you know, the jury was like, okay, well, this guy's an armed robbery suspect, and you guys are doing all these things and putting all these things in place. They were out for like 30 minutes. We won that case. 
you know. But the the big wow. thing, the big the big things that came forward in that thing, though, uh, some of the biggest takeaways. Number one was that the uh, the plaintiff attorney he tried to hit on a certification thing, but he didn't hit on a certification thing in the way that we would think he would, like challenging it as you know, do we pass the certification? He hit on a certification thing as that's a waste of time, and. The way he brought it up, he goes, let me ask you a question. Do you guys do the certification? I have in front of me the LAPD certification. Well, no, the post certification, the California post certification. I said, okay. He goes, well, on here it shows obedience exercises, that and the other. He goes, how many canine circuits have you been on where you're actually doing these exact obedience exercises? I go, none. Well, how many canine circuits have you been on where you're doing this exact bite work scenario? I go, none. He goes, then why are you doing a certification? I go, well, number one, we don't do that certification. But number two, I explained how certification was a testing process, not a training process, you know. But he really attacked the certification because, in his mind, he was trying to paint to the jury that the dog passed the certification. And he's actually right, you know. I can say that in court, but he's like, just because the dog passes the certification doesn't mean that dog mm-hmm. is street worthy. And he was actually right, you know. But in the way he was going about it, was definitely wrong. Yeah. So you know. Yeah. So it, you know, it's a big boogie, man. But I, I, I'll say that the majority of the federal cases I've been on, in all honesty, they weren't cases where the dog is doing his job and just you know the cases that have gone sometimes have been accidental bites, stupid shit that we do, you know. And those are things that bite you in the butt. But if you're out there doing your job day in day out and you're dotting the eyes across the seat, nine times out of ten, you're not going to be getting hit with the uh, the lawsuits. And very few Department K-9 units go through any lawsuits. That's a fact. If you're doing shit the right way. kind of. Speaking of which, when I talk to admins, I'm like, you know, because of what I do and, Eric, you know, what we do, like, I kind of have to read, like, everything and have read most of everything that comes out. And, you know, there's a glaringly, like, um, <clears throat> issue, and it doesn't matter what circuit is, is in a lot of canine liability comes from failure to supervise. And I look at the admins dead in the face and I'm like, you realize that a vast majority of canine liability comes from failure to supervise from supervisors, not supervising. It has not to do. And they kind of look at me and I'm like, and I, and I'm like that and you guys not paying them. I mean, if you look at the list of cases in federal court from like failure to compensate, I mean, it's, it's reams of fucking paper. I think I counted it one time, I don't know, a couple years ago. I counted um, 16,000 pages, or the computer counted 16,000 pages of paperwork uh, for cases across K-9 just for failure to compensate. And I think it was, in the, it was in the hundreds of cases, right? And this is police officers suing police departments because the dumb motherfuckers won't pay them what they're supposed to. And right. I, and you know, and it kind of comes back to the other thing. And I wanted to ask you, like, so in these federal cases, and I know you're in the Ninth Circuit, but how often does Kerr come up? Uh, once in a while. Well, it comes up. I should say once in a while. It comes up. It comes up a lot. It does come up. Yeah. It comes up a lot. Yes. You know, but but here's here's the deal too, though. And back to what you said about the failure to supervise. Most when you get to the lawsuit level, you know, unless you're in a very litigious arena. I would say most canine units that get in a lawsuit, nine times out of they like to blame it on the bite, the dog's bite, the dog bite, the dog bite. And generally, it's not the dog's bite, it's not that bite. It's this systemic pattern of shit you allowed to happen over and over again, yep. not done correctly, which makes you end up in a lawsuit arena. That's what generally happens. It's not because, oh, the dog bite. The dog bites have very little to do with lawsuits. 
They have very little to do with loss, to be honest with you. It's yeah. going to be your policies and procedures, and the shit you didn't do, the I's you didn't dot, the T's you didn't cross, is why you're sitting in that lawsuit. Literally, the eyes you the dot. I have a friend that um, he listens to this, and I'm not going to mention his name because he works as a federal defense attorney. Um, and when he subpoenas records for um, state and federal agencies for canine units, he's like, I'm not looking for, and he's going to kill me for saying this. I don't give a shit though. Uh, he's like, I'm literally not looking for um, like times where the dog quote unquote false alerted. Right. And it's something that I wanted to mention. I wrote that article for the Canine Courier where we talked about how Harris was kind of talking about the certification and the um, and how relevant the certification was to actual deployable standards. And I think one of the concurring opinions actually um, said that that one. I think it was Justice Sotomayor said that, you know, the, the plaintiff has the right to question whether the certification standards are equitable to deployable skills or not in those exact words. But basically, that's what she was saying. And, you know, it was a detection case. But now. That's exactly what fucking happened. <laughs> and all of a sudden, they're like, oh, you mean I can use this for everything that's certified? And you're like, uh, shit. Right. So my buddy is like, I'm not even worried about the fucking certification standards. He's like, I don't care. I just assume they're certified. He goes, if they're not, they're fucked anyway. He said, so, and we're talking about the federal level. He goes, so I literally come through reams of paperwork looking for inconsistencies where you misspell something once or where... Yep you don't use the same acronym over and over again or where you do use the same acronym over and over again and I want to know what it means or you hand wrote this report one time and was there a reason for it and he goes all I do is look for points in your paperwork and he was like I don't even need to see the damn dog I don't even care if you still have it and he goes I just want to see where you fuck something up and he goes I just want to see where you fuck something up and what you do when I ask you about it and all of a sudden he, and that's where stuff starts to fall apart. And Absolutely. so, you know, and we even had, you know, we have on, we had on Bob Eden, his, uh, here on this podcast, you know, everybody loves Bob. We love Bob. And that was his thing. Like we talked about, um, you know, his, his software program and then like his, the importance of, of records. And during our Eric and I's handler schools, we're like, look, I know you know how to write reports, but it's super fucking important that this goes in. And in my training nights on Tuesday nights, I'm telling my guys, I'm like, this has got, even for their bite work stuff, for the apprehensions, everything else, I'm like, make sure that this goes in, into your report. Make sure it's set this way and make sure everything's fucking spelled right and make sure you do it the same way every single time. And, you know, I mean, it's Why gotten cool? our guys out of a lot of, um, a lot of trouble. I had a, he had, my buddy, the defense attorney, had a case that involved DEA dog and um, the, the paperwork that showed up, I mean, it showed up with an, on a fucking dolly. Like, with fucking reams of paperwork and CDs, I was like, I guarantee you, I was like, they have a scoring system for the consistency of that dog shit in there. And I guarantee you, it was probably training at 341st, and I said, I promise. And he was like, no way. He called me two days later. He was like, no kidding. They have a scoring system for the consistency of the dog shit. I'm like, yeah, to say it's detailed is, and he was like, what does it mean when it's not detailed? I'm like, I don't know what to tell you about that. But that's what they're looking for, for everybody listening. <laughs> right. But, so, but, back to, but back to the care issue you brought up. You know, and that's where, again, where departments fall short, though, because that issue comes up during our court cases, but it also came up during ours. But so, like, right now, we have six canine sergeants full-time and a canine lieutenant full-time. But a lot of these departments who are worried about liability, if you look at their makeup, they got some sergeant running the unit who has 18 other ancillary duties, yep. and canines just have to be one of them. Yep. But he has no clue as to what their policies and procedures are, how they're supposed to operate. He just knows that he's supposed to supervise the K-9 unit. So yep. those are the places where they fall short at. 
don't worry about dog bites, man. You need to get your command and control center under, under wraps. So that's, that's kind of that's a good question. Like, how often are your bosses out? And they don't need to like know like everything that's going on like day to day. But how often are they out supervising or spot checking records or spot checking training or whatever? Okay, so as far as our canine unit goes, our yeah. canine sergeants the way we the way we operate, every canine every canine search that comes out, a canine sergeant responds to it. That canine sergeant is working the CP while the canine teams are downrange working. Every single search that comes out, we have at least one canine sergeant, oftentimes two, at every canine caper. One sergeant's at the CP, and the other sergeant's downrange. And if anything comes up, they request a beanbag, or they're going to go to taser, or they're going to go to gas. That sergeant responds where that canine unit is, just to oversee things and help quarterback and get the resources they need. They're going to run the same thing. They're going to run their own show. We're not going to go down there and start micromanaging and shit. But they're going to they're going to know that we have oversight and we're there to help out and make sure they're okay in the end. And as far as, you know, and I keep, I, as far as my bosses go, like my captains and my commanders and stuff like that, I keep them in the loop. You know, I bring them out and I put on every, like twice, two, three times a year, I put on a capabilities demo. This is what our canine unit is capable of. This is how we operate. So that way they leave with a set of a little bit of comfort knowing that we have the command and control in place. You know, but these departments that don't put stock in their canine unit, those are the things they need to be worried about as far as lawsuits go. Not is my canine unit get a bad bite. No, your lack of command and control, or your lack of oversight and supervision of this unit, your lack of supporting these dogs, these, these handles of resources, that's going to get you hammered because it won't be the bad guy suing you. It's going to be your own unit, your own handlers suing you because you're not paying them the Garcia time. You're not taking care of them. You know, <laughs> you know I, get called, I get called all the time by these departments. They'll give me a canine incident. Hey, look at this. You know, what did our handler do wrong? What could have done better? And the first thing I always ask them, well, let me ask you this. What resources does your handler have available to them? Well, what do you mean? I said, well, outside the dog. Do they have this, that, and the other? Do they have the ability to do this, that, and the other? Well, no, well, no, well, no. Well, then what he did is what he could do. You can't expect him to do more if you don't give him more. Although admins do it all the time. They want the world out of some of these handlers, but they don't give them the resources to bring them the world. And that's where, that's where the problems come into play. Without a doubt. We're very, our department is very much into the canine unit. I had an assistant chief tell me, you know, Mike, we can get rid of a whole lot. There's a lot of different units in this department that I, we could probably get by without having, but canine is not one of them. We have to have our canine unit. It saves too many officers' lives. So they have, departments need to have that mindset with their canine unit. Oftentimes, you got handlers, I'm buying my own dog. I got to go buy my car. Hey, you guys don't need grants to buy equipment. Come on, man. Yeah, and and those are all. Uh, and we didn't even get into that, like what you guys are issued and all right, that kind of right, stuff. But right. we we. But I mean, that's all like a. I mean, that's all a failure and a responsibility to supervise. And you know, Absolutely. what I will say is the departments that are not the, the canine units are not well supervised. It's not just the canine unit. It is endemic no. in the culture of that department whether it's city county whatever department it is is those guys are it's failure to supervise from top to bottom it's not just canine so i mean you know and that's kind of how it was with the previous administration in our um in my home sheriff's office um who the old sheriff ended up getting indicted um and for allowing shady shit to happen and you know forever they were worried about liability and come to find out it wasn't the dogs that were causing it. So, um, you know, right. 
And it's, it's generally not the dog that's causing it. No. It, it's in, you know, it, it is full on. Now, and that being said, I've sent dogs to departments that have magnificent command and control and magnificent command staffs. And I'm talking about departments that only have like, you know, 40, 60, 80 guys. Right. And, right. you know, they are as professional as they come. So you don't have to be fucking LAPD 10,000 fucking sworn officers no, to no. be nope. a professional law enforcement organization. Nope. But no, nope. all you got to do is have a standard and some and, and care about shit. That's all you need. You need to have a standard. You need to care. If you can do those two things, you're probably going to be okay, without a doubt. Yep. Well, for without a doubt, yeah, uh, for sure. Oh, yeah, for sure. So we're going to go ahead and wrap up. But before we wrap, I have one more question for you, and that's um, kind of goes with the podcast that came out today uh, on the 13th um, that Ted and I did. So the one thing that's universal, it doesn't matter if it's LAPD, uh Muskogee, this, uh, Dayton, Ohio, wherever, anywhere across the country. Handlers on their off time do dumb shit with their dogs. <laughs> do, you, do you have a safety <laughs> brief you have to give guys? Like, hey, dude, don't do this. So, <laughs> we have yeah. a reason. It'll put Look. your picture next to policy, dickhead. <laughs> hey, exactly. Every, every, every rule in the Department of Mail has some dumb cop photo next to it. Sure. <laughs> you know that you know I got 19 handlers, man, and at times that's like herding cats. All right, and so you're gonna have your strong group, you're gonna have your middle of the road group, you're gonna have your dumb shit group. I don't care what group you have, you're always gonna have those speeds somewhere along there. You know, not everybody's gonna be 110 percent all the time. So when it comes to dogs, you know, the dogs have meant to work. Go find bad guys. That's their mission in life. That's their purpose in life. You know what? They don't go home with you and sit inside your house in front of the fireplace and your friends and family play play with them. You know, well, I don't need them to be social. No, you, they are social. They're social with other police officers on their search team. That's the only social I need out of these dogs. I don't need them social to family. They go home. They go in the kennel. They go out in your yard to break a little bit. You want to exercise a little bit on your day off? They go back in the kennel. From that kennel to the car to work, back to the car, back to the kennel. That's pretty much how it works in our unit. I don't allow them to take their dogs in and become family dogs and friends and all that stuff. Again, I know departments that do it, and they're successful at it. However, I have 19 guys here. And within that, 19, that number of people, somebody's going to do some dumb shit. And when they do it, it's going to cause problems for the whole unit. So I erased all that. This is a rule. This is how we operate. We have a department demo dog that goes out and does demos and stuff, and people can pet them, and they can play with them. That's Cash. He's our demo dog. And then we have our gun dogs. They don't bite. They're not trained. All they do is go out and do gun detecting. We let them go to demos and stuff like that. We'll do a demo with our dog, but you watch it, but you're not going to come up and start petting the dog and all that stuff. And, and, and the thing is, I mean, we train these dogs to bite. Well, if we train them to bite, they're going to bite. And now we're going to be upset or surprised they bit somebody? No, it doesn't work that way. So we, I, I'm hard and fast on that. You don't do dump shit to the dog at home. The dog goes in the kennel. And everyone in our unit has two kennels. So when they go out of town, another handler watches the dog. We don't send them to boarding. We don't send them to uh, the vet. The vet has a boarding uh, place there. We don't do any of that stuff. We're very, very meticulous in that part of things. Because I don't need that. I, I got enough hacks of this and headaches to deal with. Start, <laughs> we don't need to manufacture any of them. <laughs> you don't even make your life any harder. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Letting handlers do stupid shit. That's why my local handlers, when they're out of town, I tell them we board their dogs for free at the kennel. Like my yeah, local guys. 
and that just saves they know how to do a police dog exactly and (laughs) and most of the dogs i or all of them i know and like they don't they don't bite nobody there's not anything weird shit doesn't happen like i know what to do and so and you know it's kind of like a thing and and i tell everybody that i mean if you're one of my local guys like i watch your dog for free and i got a handler going out of town on vacation next week and his asshole dog is going to be staying at the kennel so um And but, we buy social dogs. Let me be wrong. We don't buy mean dogs. They're not assholes. But I don't need any mistakes. You know, if, if, if you could build me a kennel in my car in our car that doesn't have a center, uh, open divider that doesn't open up, I'm all good with that. We don't need that divider open. Mm, that's Eric. Yeah, Eric. Yes. That's Eric's dream yes. kennel. Yes. Do have a car accident, and I got to extract a dog. That's the only way to get the dog out of the car. Okay, I get it. But other than that, I don't need. I don't want to see that damn thing open. What is it open for? So they can eat your computer. You can bite the you can eat the fucking headrest off your car. That's why. Here's some zip ties. Zip tie that thing closed. In case of emergency, use your fucking leather material and cut it open. Okay. You just made Eric's night. (laughs) You just made Eric's day. You made my whole week, buddy. Oh my god. (laughs) Oh man. It's just too too much stupid shit can happen on its own. We don't need to manufacture it, man. You know, if you work around dogs, stupid shit happens anyway. So I don't need to add to it. It's just really dumb, yes. you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, I say that all the time. You can't teach dogs to bite people. I'm like, shocked when they do. They're like, oh, but he's right, social. Exactly. I'm like, no. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but no, like, that's not how yeah, this works. No. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, but uh, no, hold on. Yeah, so. <laughs> exactly. Well, uh, man, Mike, this has been a fucking awesome episode. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. When are you going to retire? Or are you like semi-retired now, right? Uh, yeah, three years, five months, I'm done. Three years, five? How many days? Three years, five months, <laughs> three years, five months and actually uh, 22 days, to be exact. I'm going to do it right there. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Well, well then I'm you... still enjoying it, though, man. Every day I do enjoy it, to be honest. Then you can go to semi-retired Santa Claus, Eric. Okay, yeah, Eric's, right. Eric's yeah. retired. Yeah, and now he works more. Yeah, than yeah, he, he looks like he's so. retired, please. He's looking more now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or like Daryl Gaunt. He's out. Like, he moved, man. He's out, like, yeah. camping and shit he with did. his granddaughter. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Yeah, he he retired. Yes. He, he retired. Yes. He retired. Yes. Yeah, he did. It makes me happy every time he posts a video or a picture with his granddaughter out in the middle of nowhere. I'm like, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right on, man. Uh, we really appreciate the time. It's been a great episode. Yeah. It was an awesome episode. Um... So everybody be able to check out um, Patreon content. Um, we're going to be making some changes to that. And then also be sure to check out HRD Police Canine. It's kind of pointless to tell you when we're going to be and where we're going to be. Because time this airs is probably going to change. But that episode, that does get updated uh, quite regularly. We have a one scheduled for October for New Orleans, which is going to be new. Uh, which that's going to be good. We've been trying to get down south for quite a while. So I expect that one to be fairly good. Uh, Michigan is still on for sure. Um, so that one's also going to be, I think it's in December if I remember right. Um, I think it's Cook, Cook County, something like that, Cook County, uh, Michigan. And so, yeah, that'll be fantastic. But Eric, you got anything else? Nope. Just go to my Instagram, please. Van SK nine. Uh, that's it. Oh, oh, Mike, real quick. Uh, talk about the, uh, push up challenge thing you've been doing real quick on your social media. Oh, so yeah. So, uh, one of, one of our retired sergeants. You know, he, uh, he's a former military man, and they, he's doing a 22 push-ups for 22 days to bring awareness to uh, our veterans who are committing suicide out there. 
and just bringing awareness to it, you know, and, and that's a big deal, man, in, in, in the military and in law enforcement. You know, we all operate on a daily basis, and from the outside looking in, you know, we all look like we're having a good time and everything's okay. And, you know, those are two very alpha, alpha uh, entities. And it's almost like if you show your feelings, you're showing weakness. So guys keep things bottled in, you know, so we want to bring awareness to that. So I'm doing 22 push-ups a day, and I am nominating someone every day to do the same thing. I'm just trying to keep this thing going on and on. I try to make it fun. I try to use different things and, and do different backgrounds and different places where I'm doing my push-up just so it changes the game for everyone. So everyone just, just doesn't see me doing 22 push-ups on, you know, on Facebook every day and start getting bored with it. We really want people to pay attention to this. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's awesome. I love seeing it. Well, everybody, uh, it's been a great episode. Uh, it's been one that's been I've been wanting to do for a long time, and the stars just never aligned. But they finally did. So um, it's been great. Uh, Mike, we appreciate it again, man. Um, yeah, everybody else, stay tuned. Uh, we got a good one coming up after this. So thanks a lot, everybody. All right. Thanks, guys. Take care. Our oldest sponsor, our first sponsor, and our good friend, and a great dude all around, Arno at ALM Canine Equipment. Uh, his suits and his canine tugs and bite sleeves are some of the best in the industry. His dude, I have a whole array of different uh, hidden sleeves from him of all various levels of dogs. Uh, he has a discount code for us, which is amazing, WD Radio for 10% off your first order. ALMK9Equipment.com. Give him, a, give him a shout, man. Arno is a good guy with great quality equipment. ALMK9Equipment.com. One of the original three sponsors that have been with us from the beginning is Tripwire Operations Group, LLC. They're an internationally recognized leading provider of products, services, and training for federal, state, local, and law enforcement agencies and military units. They are ATF licensed for explosive material manufacturer, importer, exporter, and dealer with a wide range of explosive products to offer, including custom kits. These kits are great for detection canine imprinting, and they have three different kits to choose from. These three kits combined create the complete picture for ex the explosive threats of canines. Be sure to check them out, tripwireops.org. The music in this episode is used with permission by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at Brother Deeg, that's spelled D-E-G-E dot -E net. Be sure to check him out there or on iTunes, Amazon, CD Baby, or anywhere you stream media. This episode has been edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt. Visit our other sites at patreon.com, look for Working Dog Radio, hrdpolicecanine.com, and look for the nearest seminar near you. You got your reasons, and I got my wants. Still got that feeling, but I'm too Working Dog Radio was graciously granted permission to use this music by Brother Deeg. Be sure to check him out at brotherdeeg.blogspot.com. That's spelled brother, D-E-G-E, dot blogspot.com. Be sure to buy him a beer at Amazon, iTunes, or CD Baby, or anywhere you stream your music. Working Dog Radio was edited and co-produced by Alicia Brandt.